Sarah Armstrong here, the stories in my head. Episode 9 of Kitui and the Frenzel Lens, the very last episode. Uh, it's been quite a ride for Kitui, and she seems to have found a good life, and now we're trying to find out what happened to Jeremy. So, episode 9, the final episode of Kitui and the Frenzel Lens. The ship, called Escape, was painted lead gray, making it exceedingly difficult to see in the dark. There was no cargo except food and water, so the ship was able to move faster than usual. Sails were available if needed. Under Jeremy's supervision and under the watchful eye of Captain Coleman, crewmen loaded a full supply of anthracite coal that produced no smoke. He quizzed them about their sailing experience and made assignments accordingly. Darkness fell, and the ship moved slowly away into the Gulf waters. Jeremy looked at the map. He made notations of the hazards he could remember from the travels with his father. It was a delicate balance to stay close to shore, but not run aground. It was almost dawn before Escape encountered a Union frigate. Jeremy heard the flap of the sails before he saw the outline. They passed the first without incident, but suddenly the shoreline ahead of them was flooded with light. What's happening? Captain Coleman asked. They are using flares. It is a common practice to catch smugglers, Jeremy answers. If our luck holds, we can slip between a flare burst directly over escape. Heave to, by order of the Union ship Ironclad. The command was shouted from the second ship. Heave to and prepare to be boarded. Jeremy whispered to Coleman, Tell the crew to cut power, but be ready to go full speed ahead at my command. You can't surrender, Coleman implored. Either you trust me or you don't. Pass on my instructions. Jeremy hissed, and Coleman nodded and did as instructed. Escape slowed. Voices from the ironclad shouted orders as boats were prepared to lower the boarding party. Jeremy listened carefully for the moment boats were loosened. Full steam ahead, Jeremy's voice boomed. Aye, sir, came the reply. Escape lunged forward into the darkness. Jeremy headed out to open water, then back toward the shore in a zigzag course. The Union ship's cannons thundered, and the ball splash nearly missing the stern. Give me full engine power, Jeremy shouted. 
the ironclad began to make the turn to pursue escape. Jeremy continued his weaving tactics until they were out of cannon range, but the chase continued. As the ironclad faded, a sloop joined the hunt. It was much faster than the frigate and began to gain on escape. Hoist the sails, Jeremy ordered. Crewman reacted immediately and as the sails filled with air, the engine pulsed with full power and escaped pulled away. The sloop stayed close. Jeremy played a nautical game of cat and mouse for the next few hours. Ready about, Jeremy directed. Ready, the crew replied. Helms Ali, Jeremy responded, moving downwind. As the wind and pursuer changed direction, Jeremy barked out new orders. Ready to jibe, Jeremy shouted. Ready, came the reply. Jibe ho, Jeremy turned into the wind. By the time the first rays of dawn colored the horizon, Escape had outpaced the sloop, which was no longer in sight. Pushing ahead with full sails and power, Jeremy knew they were near their daylight hiding place. Closely watching the shore, he spotted the familiar inlet. Hand the mainsail, Jeremy ordered. Aye, came the reply. As the sails were lowered, speed decreased and Jeremy entered the inlet. Furl all sails, half ahead. Aye. Escaped eats forward into the bay. Cut all power. Aye, sir. Drop anchor. Aye. Jeremy breathed a sigh of relief. He calculated that by the time the sloop reached the inlets, all signs of escape being there would be gone. They were in a cove in the Chandelure Islands east of New Orleans. The cove was not visible from the gulf, and they could hide until nightfall. The crew spent the day eating, sleeping, and cutting wood for backup fuel. Escape and her engines were thoroughly checked, and just before sunset, Jeremy addressed the crew. Getting out of this bay shouldn't be difficult. We will swing wide enough to avoid the hazards. The real danger is coming back near the shore before we make a break into open waters to head for Mexico. Captain Coleman added, We know that the lighthouse at the Southwest Pass entrance is now working, but all others are dark. Once we're in open water, we believe we can outrun the Union ships. You'll need skill and courage and a big dose of luck. France currently rules Mexico and is willing to sell arms to the Confederate Army. We are headed to Matamoros, Mexico. If the Union ships are pursuing, they won't enter a foreign port. To your posts, let's get underway. In the full darkness, Escape lifted anchor and moved cautiously into the gulf. There were no Union ships visible. Swinging wide to the east, they moved out of the inlet. When he was sure of their position, 
Jeremy began to move back to the west. This was a dangerous maneuver. Jeremy had to move close enough to find cover in the Atchafalaya Bay, but avoid the hazards of the southwest reef. Suddenly, escape was engulfed in light. But from where? It had to be the ship shoal lighthouse. That light wasn't supposed to be working. That lighthouse was abandoned. The unexpected illumination did three things. It showed Jeremy that he was on a course to hit the reef. It revealed the position of the escape to the enemy. But it also revealed a Union sloop waiting to the west, moving in to trap escape if she entered the bay. Hard the port! Full power to the engines! Hold on! Jeremy shouted. As escape pivoted to the south, the sloop moved in to block her path. Full speed ahead! Hoist the sails! Jeremy bellowed. The sloop took chase as escape sprinted away. They were in open water with no fear of hazards and no place to hide. It was now a matter of speed and seamanship. Throughout the day, the sloop gained and fell back. Jeremy kept escape barely out of cannon range. He also worried about fire from the shore as they passed Union Hill ports. It was like walking a watery tightrope. Two hours past noon, the Mexican coast appeared on the horizon. The pursuing sloop began to slow and eventually turned back north. A cheer went up from the escape crew and they docked safely in Matamoros. While Coleman finalized negotiations with the French officers, Jeremy listened to the banter between the crew and Confederate soldiers who would transport the artillery to Texas. The war was not going well in the east, and maybe the Texas forces could stop the retreat. When did the Union Army repair the lighthouse on Ship Shoal? Jeremy asked. I hear the Yankees found some of those special lighthouse lenses the Confederacy hid in a graveyard, a soldier replied. Well, it saved our lives. We wouldn't have seen that sloop waiting for us, would we, Colby? A crewman added. No, we wouldn't. Captain Coleman kept his word. Jeremy was given papers identifying him as a non-combatant medical officer who'd completed his service for the Confederacy under duress. I will be forever grateful for your help, Dr. Colby, Captain Coleman said as he extended his hand. I won't pretend to support your cause. I did it for my freedom. I respect you for being a man of your word, Jeremy replied as he shook his hand. What will you do now? Coleman inquired. I'm going to work my way back to Louisiana. There was determination in Jeremy's voice. I can't be of much help there, but here is a small payment for your service, Captain Coleman said 
and handed Jeremy a pouch containing gold coins. We can also spare you a horse and provisions. Jeremy accepted with gratitude. Now he could go home. As he traveled, Jeremy heard news of the collapsing Confederacy. He moved cautiously, avoiding large towns. Crossing the border into Texas, he swung west to avoid Brownsville. Sometimes he would stop for a few days and observe the movement of civilians and troops. Following the Rio Grande, he moved north and then east, passing between Laredo and San Antonio. Weary, Jeremy stopped in the town of Victoria to rest and possibly look for work to conserve funds. His goal was to reach Louisiana and search for Katui. If she was alive, he would find her. It was a bustling town, very much involved in moving cotton to Mexico to trade for arms and medicine in support of the Confederacy. Jeremy spent a week observing the town. He was cautious about sharing his medical background. Even with proper papers, Jeremy didn't want to be conscripted into service again by either side. He got a job at a general store helping to unload wagons and stock shells. It didn't pay much, but it would do until he could decide his next move. Wagons of refugees from the war came through Victoria regularly. Jeremy was working in the store when he heard a familiar voice. Searching the crowd of customers, he looked into the eyes of Joshua Miller and his wife. Joshua! Evelyn! Jeremy exclaimed. Colby! Joshua replied. I wonder what happened to you. Where are you going? Jeremy asked. We're on our way west. It became too dangerous to stay. We abandoned the farm, Joshua said. How'd you get here, Colby? It's quite a story, and I have questions for you, Jeremy said. Our wagon train is camped just east of town. Come and have supper with us, Evelyn said. Jeremy enthusiastically accepted. During the meal, Jeremy recounted his adventures as briefly as possible and then asked the question burning in his heart. I know you helped a young woman named Kitui, who was spying for the Union, Jeremy stated. Didn't she work for you? Evelyn asked. Yes, she did. Do you know what happened to her? Jeremy leaned forward in expectation. She came to our house, badly wounded after completing a dangerous mission. She had a bullet wound and a loss a great deal of blood, Joshua replied. Is she dead? Jeremy croaked. No, she recovered, but it was too dangerous for her to go back home. She was taken to Kansas on a Union supply detachment. She said she was going west, maybe California. Evelyn added. Now I understand why she asked that Union officer about the 21st Louisiana Infantry. She was looking for you, Joshua said. What did he tell her? Jeremy asked. 
He said all members of the 21st were dead or captured, Joshua replied. Jeremy dropped his head and felt his heart break in pieces. She thinks I'm dead. At least I know. The sound of raised voices broke the mood. A young man was running through the camp shouting, The war is over! Lee has surrendered! The war is over! June 19, 1870 was a day of great celebration in Galveston, Texas. It was on that date, five years earlier in 1865, that Union soldiers landed and informed slaves that the war had ended and slavery was abolished. In fact, slavery ended two years earlier with the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, which was the official notice that slaves were free and the Union was in control. This celebration of freedom was called Juneteenth. Jeremy stood proudly in front of a two-story building. The sign above the door read, Galveston Academy of Medicine, dedicated to Kay. He knew she would be proud. This was her dream, their dream, to heal and educate. A black man approached, smiling broadly. Good morning, Jeremy. It's a fine day for a celebration, he said. Good morning, Mr. Landry, Jeremy replied with a smile. I understand you wanted to speak with me, Landry said. Yes, as head of the Academy's uh, governing board, I have a proposal to discuss. Let's go into my office, Jeremy replied. Once they were seated, Reginald Landry began to reminisce. I can't believe it's been five years since you arrived in Galveston from Victoria, he said. Yes, I was looking for a growing community to open a practice. With the war over and the blockade gone, this was the perfect place, Jeremy replied. You treated everyone who came, no matter what the color of their skin or uniform. How long did it take you to open a second location, Landry asked. About eight months, I found and trained two assistants to help me, Jeremy replied. Then you chose the east side of town, the black east side of town, for your third clinic, Landry added. Slavery was an abomination, and I wanted to do my part to make things better, Jeremy said. Your influence and example helped us to get the financial support we needed to open the academy. Whatever this new project is you have in mind, I'm sure I can get the board's support, Landry said confidently. Do you know who Kay is? Jeremy asked. No. When we asked, you said it was personal and we didn't want to pry, Landry answered. Her name is Kitui. She is a remarkable woman whom I love very much. We got separated during the war, but the time we spent together and her spirit and courage are what got me through and inspired me to start the academy. I want to go back in Louisiana and start a school in the place she came from.
I want to go home. Some things change, but so many remain the same. Slaves were free, but with no skills or support, they were working the same land, but as sharecroppers. The owners negotiated the use of equipment, cost of seed, and access to water. In return, a portion of the harvest was paid to the land often. Often in the time of harvest, depending on market price, the tenants made less than they owed. It was economic slavery. Riding the familiar roads, Jeremy was flooded with memories both joyful and sad. Many of the stately plantation houses lay in ruins. Some were taken over by Union troops and Northern officials. His house and barn were gone, replaced by fields of cotton. He made inquiries about certain properties, but none of them was suitable. Jeremy moved on to Bassan Rouge, thinking that a larger city would have more options available. After a week, he identified some affordable buildings, but wanted to see what was available on the outskirts of town. He decided to rent a horse. A man and woman standing in front of the stable looked up as Jeremy approached. He increased his pace as recognition dawned. Is Dr. Colby, Vesta cried. Jeremy embraced her and gave John a firm handshake. We thought you were dead, John said. There were a few close calls, and I ended up in Texas. This is the first time I've been home since the war ended, Jeremy replied. Then he asked, Is Jacob with you? No, he joined the Buffalo soldiers, Vesta replied. She and John exchanged puzzled looks. I heard that Kitui went to California. I thought about going to find her, but after all this time, I would not know where to start, Jeremy stated. Now it was Jeremy's turn to look puzzled as Vesta and John flashed broad smiles. Vesta took Jeremy's hands in hers. Well, we know exactly where to start. Katie saw the tall man approaching on foot. She was playing in the Edgemore's front yard while Katui prepared the classroom for the next day. The man stopped and stared at her and then smiled. He had curly black hair, but Katie's attention was riveted on his eyes. They were almost the same color as hers. Hello, young lady, the man said, bowing from his waist. What is your name? Katie Vesta Colby, she replied. What's your name? Jeremy Colby, the man replied. Katie turned her head to one side and thought for a moment. Are you my father? she asked. Why don't we ask your mother? Is she here? Jeremy inquired. Katie took his hand and led him around the back of the house to the schoolroom. As they walked, Katie chattered about the Edgemoors and Jacob and questioned Jeremy about where he had been all her life. 
Mama, Mama, he's here, Katie exclaimed. Katui's back was turned to the door. What are you shouting about, Katie? Who's here, she asked. My father, Jeremy Colby, of course, Katie replied. Kitui froze. She could feel his presence behind her, but couldn't make herself look. Jeremy's hands on her shoulder were like bolts of lightning. He applied gentle pressure and turned her around. There were strands of gray in his hair, and his eyes looked tired. She reached up and wiped away the tears that flowed down his cheeks as he bent to kiss her. Some years later, Jeremy read Kitui's diary and learned about the frenzel lens that saved his life. They lived long and prospered. So, in spite of everything that happened, about so much that she had lost, Katui found her son. She and Jeremy were reunited and um, lived a happy life. And her courage in finding those frenzel lenses so that that particular lighthouse could be restored saved Jeremy's life. Hmm. Hope you enjoyed Kitui and the Frenzel Lens. What's coming up next is going to be a little bit different. Uh, the episodes might be a little bit shorter. Uh, this is kind of a little, it's not quite as heavy and serious as Kitui. It's more like a Hallmark's movies and mysteries kind of story. It's called Harvest of Love. Um won't tell you too much about it, but it's it's a, not heavy on the brain, not a lot of heavy thinking, some mystery, some romance, some conflict. Um, maybe you'll learn a little something about history of a certain part of the United States. But tune in next week and we'll begin with episode one of Harvest of Love. Cannot tell you how much I appreciate your support. Thank you. Thank all of you for listening. See you next week.